0: I excited that. I that scores! And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there.
1: Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing, Flames. Get it, get it put it! In the-
0: is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 the Fan. All right, let's get things going. We are underway on this Thursday, February 22nd, this hour of Flames Talk with Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of nhl.com and we're coming at you from our Hot Stone Lounge here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution we're available on apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcasts i'm I'm guessing that um when things uh when we start to get into this topic the text line may have their thought on it just if you're listening live it just feels like maybe that might happen i don't know trade deadline just over two weeks away and we're waiting on craig conroy come on craig let's get no i'm just kidding everybody Everybody, I I honestly think if you're a Flames fan, you should be really, like the fact that you may or may not be impatient, that's that's very fair. But I think there should be a, a honestly almost universal appreciation that Craig Conroy in his first year as the general manager with all of this stuff that has just been heaped on his plate. And he has waded through it meticulously, methodically, and patiently. Like that to me is something that, that I, I think should be like, yeah, that, that I don't know how that is not a good thing. Uh, the way that he's handled it so far. I digress. Boston's in town Thursday and there's plenty to suggest they're eyeing up an addition of another defenseman. Uh in in Wednesday's overtime win in Edmonton Matt Grizzlick went down the hallway, didn't return. We'll see if he plays the following night Thursday here uh at the Scotiabank Saddledome. They're without Hampus Lindholm who a couple of years ago was their big-time addition at the deadline. And the obvious connection for so many in terms of a potential top four defenseman for the Bruins is Noah Hannafin, obviously hometown Boston boy, played his college there, like all of it. I mean, that, that is the obvious on the nose connection, but the hockey connection is really easy to see as well. So is it a potential good fit before we dive into the nitty gritty? I think it is. I think absolutely it is. What about
2: you? Yeah, I think it is, particularly from a Boston Bruins perspective. You mentioned Hampus Lindholm week to week with a lower body injury. Matt Grizzlick, I don't believe will play against the Calgary Flames on Thursday. They have recalled Ian Mitchell from Providence, so that might be a tip of the cap to the fact that they're down to six defensemen right now prior to that recall. But even beyond that, when you look, they've been kind of taxing Charlie McAvoy at 25 minutes a night. Lindholm, when he's in the lineup, he's playing 24. Carlo's up at 20. And then the balance of the group is around 17. So for me, if I'm Bruins general manager, Don Sweeney, I'm in the market for a 22 or 23 minute a night D-man just to spread those minutes around just a little bit more evenly. And we know that once the playoffs roll around, let's not pretend like the Boston Bruins aren't headed for the playoffs and some of their injury troubles will be resolved simply with time. But we know how many defensemen you typically go through on a long run towards the Stanley Cup. like You're going 6, you got your 6, then you're going seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10 deep into the bullpen in order to ice a lineup and if you can add a player like Noah Hannafin who's been playing a lot of minutes this season for the Calgary Flames you're able to slot him on the Boston Bruins whether that's ahead or behind a Hampus Lindholm and just distribute the minutes out a little bit more evenly and then if and when injury troubles do happen in the playoffs you have a ready built player that's able to jump to 26 27 28 should the situation call for it in the playoffs so from a Boston Bruins perspective, I would definitely be lighting up Craig Conroy's phone line asking what it's going to take. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think, let's start with the Boston standpoint. Like, it's a no brainer on their end, I think. No, I don't think it's the only no brainer. There's some other defensemen out there that I think could fit nicely for them as well. But, you know, you take a look at all the other stuff that goes into Hannafin and the Bruins. I also think that, you know, from a Boston, uh, he he would fit them now. He would still be an extremely important player for them when everybody's healthy. Uh, from the hockey standpoint, immediately it makes nothing but sense. I also think with some of the players they have coming off the book, uh, I also and 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 the money. Like let, let's just say for the sake of this argument that they don't have to retain there. There would be some sort of transaction that allows the money to work for them. You're only talking, especially if, if he's going to stay in Boston, um, you're only talking about, like, he's just under $5 million, so you're probably only talking about an additional million and a half, $2 million-ish onto the cap, if if we're assuming that it's going to be around $7 million out of Calgary. Maybe it's seven and a half. but you're not talking about a massive bump on your cap. My point is, is that I think Boston could keep him for the long term as well. I don't think... The Bruins would be automatically looking at Hannafin as a rental only if they were to acquire him.
2: No, then, of course, there's no secret that he's from the area, and he always plays good against the Bruins. He's always Scored a goal productive. against them earlier yeah. this month? 13 points I think he's up to in 17 career games against the Bruins, so he's definitely put his best skate forward when it comes to playing against the Bruins, and don't think that that's something that would go uh, unnoticed when you're either playing here at Scotiabank Saddledome or at TD Garden in Boston he brings it against his hometown team. So there's a connection in terms of what they're seeing on the ice every time he plays against them up close and personal. There's the fact that he's from the area. There's just too many connections, I think, that makes it make sense from the Boston Bruins perspective. And again, to your point, yeah, this doesn't strike me as a situation where this would potentially be just a pure rental. This is a situation where they can look along and hard and go, yeah, this is a guy that we're going to lock up to a long-term contract after the fact.
0: So here's the million-dollar question. Yeah, we can we can sit here all day talking about Burn does it talk. make sense for Boston, and of course it does, but not a lot of people are as interested in what it means for Boston if they're listening to Flames talk. They're more interested in what it means for the team here. Would it make sense asset-wise, return-wise – for what the Flames could get back? And I also answer the question, yes. So the Bruins do not have a first-round pick this year. That's almost guaranteed. They'd have to um, finish bottom 10 in the league for them to relinquish their pick um, next year, so they don't have their first round pick in 2024, which means as of right now on February 22nd, they do have a 2025 first round pick, and they have a 2026 first round pick. So they don't have a pick this year, but they will have one in 2025. So first round picks, they've got a few of those they could deal with. They don't have any second rounders for the next couple of years. Um, but the interesting thing is that they also like I think you could easily find roster players that are that, that could help make. The, the money work if needed. But the interesting thing is the the prospects and the kind of the other young pieces. So first-round picks absolutely should be a part of it. But there's two guys that uh, have been in the lineup, and, and for Thursday night, one of these guys will be in the lineup that are really interesting. So you've got Mason Lowry uh, on defense and Matthew Poitras up front. Uh, is it Poitras or Poitras? Poitras. Patra thank you. Um, you've got Lowry and Patra, uh, who are the two kind of prospects that are in the NHL-ready realm? Both have played this year. Um, Patra is the forward. He's hurt right now. Lowry is playing, Um, so we're talking about guys who are knocking on the door, talking about guys who are in the mix for being NHLers right now, and I fully believe that is one of the things the Flames are interested in when it comes to making these deals. So I absolutely think this is something that would work well for the Flames in terms of what Calgary could get back in a potential trade. Yeah, as
2: you mentioned, Boston without a first-round pick in 2024, most likely no second, no third as well. From a Flames perspective, I'm probably okay with a 2025 first. It's not something that I love being, you know, a full 400-ish days out as opposed to getting one that you'll be able to see the return on this June.
0: Now, they do already have two picks for this year's draft-ish. There's always the conditions on the the Montreal trade that, hang over this thing and are complicated. And
2: maybe there's a final laser round pick that, that that seals the deal. And for me, I'm not super in love with the prospect pool, but the men names you mentioned Patra and Lori are those are two NHL ready talents. Yeah. is nineteen and playing over thirteen minutes a night in the NHL, so that's a positive. To me, he kind of strikes me more as a second line center Uh, Lower eye strikes me as having top four upside. He's massive, big right right shot D with some puck skills. Uh, Another name I'm going to toss out at you is Fabian Liesel, who's playing in Providence in the AHL. I think he's a second-year pro down there. Very productive, right shot right wing, whose skills skew offensive. Again, another guy with top six upside. Um, Pal Scott Wheeler of The Athletic ranks him number one in their prospect pool, so there's a pedigree there. He was a first-round pick. If you can get a combination of two or three of those names, I might even be willing from a Calgary... I'm I'm pretending to be Craig Conroy and be in the big chair. I might even excuse the first rounder, the lack of a first rounder in this deal. All three of these guys are either NHL ready or knocking on the door. And to me, that fits Conroy's vision that he has of, you know what, maybe we can get some younger players that are two or three years down the road in terms of their development and potentially have a chance to make an impact next season in the lineup. Or in the case of... Uh, Lorai and Potra probably could step into the lineup uh, today if a deal was done. Right. But you kind of get the sense that if you're able to return players that can either step in right away or step in next season, that's almost preferable to drafting a player, waiting two or three years to see where they're at in their development, and then potentially just pushes that uh, retool a little bit further down the road. Now, can you go to the Boston Bruins and say we want – Two of these guys, the two names you mentioned perhaps that are already on the roster, is that too much to ask from a Flames perspective? The Flames, to me, are sort of more in the driver's seat because they have the asset that's going to be desirable not just to the Boston Bruins but to multiple teams. Are you able to coax out two guys that are currently in the lineup? Are you able to pry one of them and then you got to wait for the 2025 first rounder to come around? Is there a roster player that maybe doesn't fit the age range you're looking for, but you can bring back and can either play now or as a player that you can flip for more assets before the deadline? I think just looking at it and those three names mentioned plus the 2025 first, and I'm not saying pluses in. you're going to get those three guys plus the first, right. plus an NHL roster player now. But if you can find a combination, like the Boston Bruins to me do have the pieces to make this work.
0: Um, I, I, I absolutely believe so. Now I, I do think that there are going to be many more teams that, that are in this conversation. Um, and so I, 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 like, I think obviously we've heard Tampa Bay. I don't think Florida is out of the question. I still wonder about the Dallas stars and whether or not they could enter the equation. Here, uh, do not count out the Vegas Golden Knights who are going to be without Mark Stone for a while. They're so going to free up some space. They're as well going with that. to free up some space. They've done that once or twice before. Um, so I just I like there there are lots. I, I absolutely could see Vegas breathing down Calgary's neck, and you know that Kelly McCrimmon is always one of those stocking horses for big names around the deadline. So I think there are plenty of other teams, probably three or four others that I didn't mention. I don't think Detroit is completely out of it. Um, So I I do, I do Toronto could enter the conversation. Like I, I, there are lots of them, but Boston's the team that's in town. And there's always that, you know, it's always interesting to have that conversation um, knowing that that's a team that you're going to see up close and personal. Well, they're
2: just down the hall sharpening their skates right now, as you mentioned. And yeah, it's going to be an obvious connection whenever uh, a team rolls in that has a need that Hannafin would fit. It just so happens Hannafin's from Boston. Like, there's You don't have to draw the conspiracy web with red string all over the place to link Noah Hannafin in the Boston Bruins, whether it's a trade at the deadline, whether there'll be a team coveting him in unrestricted free agency. Like... I don't want to say where there's smoke, there's fire, but there's just too many connections that you can make in terms of all the things I just mentioned, Boston having the pieces. Um, Surely there's going to be a way to make the money work, whether it's retention or or what have you. Like put Boston on your list of potential destinations, at least from my perspective as something that's feasible as opposed to, oh, what about Team X? And, oh, they don't have any prospects. They don't have any picks. They don't have any space and it just really doesn't seem to work from a Calgary Flames perspective. Yep. This is one that I think both sides, at least superficially, can agree. Yeah, we like the defensemen. Yeah, we like the picks and some of the prospects you have. Whether or not they can come together on a, uh, an acceptable exchange remains to be seen, but to me the groundwork is there.
0: Maybe it's, a, an, uh, maybe it's Derek Forbort. First round pick and uh, and and Poitras or right. or another, something like that. That that seems like something that could very easily be done, especially if you're talking about Hannafin, uh, And maybe easily is the wrong word. That seems somewhat realistic. That doesn't sound like I'm pie in the sky NHL video game uh, coming up with trades. Right? Like that seems like a a young player, prospect, uh, a guy to help make the money work, and who's a roster player right now in your first-round pick. And and friends, Noah Hannafin is fully worth that. Hannafin is having an unbelievable season, and you could make a very salient argument. has been their best defenseman all year long.
2: Yeah, you're not going to get an argument from me on that. And it fits the mold of pick, prospect, something we can use right now. And if you're looking at Elias Lindholm to a degree as the blueprint of what the Calgary Flames are looking for, They got a little bit above that, but they've got the player in Kuzmenko. They've got a pick. They ended up picking up a couple of prospects in that deal as well, as well as the final, what was it, fourth round, conditional fourth round pick that sealed the deal. So I don't think those two things are, those two returns are entirely so far apart that you can't go, yeah, you don't like, to your point, I don't have to squint too hard to see the Derek Forbort, um, poitra first round pick deal coming to fruition
0: uh Poitras, by the way will not play the rest right. of the season uh shoulder injury will keep him on the shelf for the rest of the year he had that in early february but as a 19 year old he turns 20 in a few weeks here he'll turn 22 days after the deadline um he had 15 points in 33 games and if you're the flames that's okay that he's not ready to jump into your lineup right away of course he would have liked that but that shouldn't take the Flames off the scent at all because you're talking about a 19 year 19 soon to be 20 year old player, you're fine with bringing him in and and looking more long term with that so the fact that he had shoulder surgery and is done for the year shouldn't really deter I think the Flames trying to um, make that play.
2: Yeah, sustain the injury in early January, had surgery last week if I'm not mistaken I thought I had seen something that if the Bruins went deep enough into the playoffs he might be eligible for a return but that return sort of schedule is somewhere around five months, so not really realistic.
0: A few texts at 960, 960. Uh, This says, Sarah Valley already said the Canadian teams are out. He's going to Tampa Bay, guys, Frank knows. Um, and he could. Like, I think Tampa Bay is very much in the mix as well. Only problem is, asset-wise, they don't compare to – like if we're talking about Tampa Bay versus Boston, asset wise, I don't know how Tampa Tampa gets it done. The only thing that Tampa has is that they've got the cap space and probably a desire to keep them long term. And obviously, we believe that. Um, obviously, we believe that there's a, an interest in Hannafin going there long term. But if you're the Lightning do you just kind of wait it out and say, yeah, we think he's going to sign here in free agency. We're not ready to pay that price. We may not be able to pay that price to bring him in right now.
2: Well, what's interesting about just comparing those two organizations and the Noah Hannafin sweepstakes is as it stands right now, if you go by points percentage, they're not far off from meeting in the first round, the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay lightning. So maybe you can juice up the return a little bit there on that front as well, by having a couple teams that, you know, might see the uh, Noah Hannafin in the first round of the playoffs against the opposition.
0: Uh this reads I had Poitras on my Poitras, rather on my targets from before the season started would love to have him. This suggests that 2025 is the better draft. You're you're the uh, I, FC never, I never I never like
2: making the declaration this far out. There are certainly a lot of guys slated to go somewhere in the mid first round that perhaps I'm a bit more curious on in 2025. Okay. But there's lots of time for that to change. Like that's a very fluid situation. It's not, you don't declare, what are we, 15 months out from the 2025 draft, that it's going to be better. It looks, it's trending that way. Yep. But we've seen situations in the past where you get really excited for the draft that's not the close one, but the one that's a year and a bit away. And then you're like, ooh, why are we so excited? So, On the surface, as it stands on February 22nd, there's certainly some guys that are projected to kind of go in the middle of the first round that I would take over some of the guys that are in the middle of the first round in 2024, but there's still a lot of runway for that to play out.
0: Uh, This reads uh, what's key in a deal that would include Poitras. He's a center. The team's in desperate need for talented centers. Uh, This reads, I've been impressed with Hannafin's growth over the last couple of seasons. Not sure if he's a playoff performer yet, but hopefully Hannafin can do the Flames a favor and it ends up being a sign-in trade where the Flames make out like bandits. That comes from Mike. Jimmy in Douglasdale says, um, if Poitras isn't in a deal with Boston, I don't want to deal with them as they don't have much else that they should be looking for. And finally, Rick in Lakeview says, it's funny the talk of a trade down the hall due to the Bruin situation coupled with interest in Hannafin. Just thinking about that this AM and recalling John T- the John Tinelli trade in 86 that saw Calgary's players, Crom uh, and Conroy, walk across the street to join the Islanders and vice versa. All players um, traded took to the ice in different jerseys that night. What a weird one! That's not Rick and Lakeview. Not
2: quite the same. But remember when Conroy got traded from the Kings to the Flames, and the Wasn't Kings he had an outdoor pra- the Kings had an outdoor practice in Red Deer and wouldn't let him get back on the bus to come to Calgary. Oh, he had to like he had to get a car get sent. a cab get a car sent to Red Deer so that he could come join the Calgary Flames. I believe get a, that, get that a, was the case. Get
0: a checker yellow cab out there from Calgary <laughs> to bring Conroy in. Um, that's actually funny. Yeah, Tonelli was acquired from the Islanders in March 86 and Conroy, uh, Steve Conroy and Richard Crom went the other way and all of them played that night. And that's right because Con- Conroy, Craig, the current GM, played the next night. That's right. Yeah. Uh, when he got reacquired from the Kings in, what was that? 06. Um, so which is which is kind of interesting as well so pretty close not bad Pretty much the exact same. Um, okay, it's Steinberg and Vickers. We're underway this hour on Flamestock. We're here at the Hot Stove Lounge at the Scotia Bank Dome and everything getting produced back at uh, Sportsnet 960 World Control with Cam and Shan. They're hanging out in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com.
1: Flamestock is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960 The
0: Fan. All right, it's time to go inside hockey on this Thursday for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics, and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine spirits beer today. It is a Thursday with Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. And now we say hello to our uh, Thursday regular and uh, our goaltending guru. It's time to say hello to Kevin Woodley of NHL.com. And, of course, In Goal Magazine. we got lots to get to with Kevin on this Thursday. Appreciate the time as always, Mr. Woodley. How are we doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining out here. In, uh, well, I was going to say
0: Vancouver, but let's be
1: honest. Even professional hockey players have trouble affording living in Vancouver. So <laughs> I'm in the burbs. Beautiful, beautiful. Now near the border, South Surrey, it is a gorgeous day. and Yeah, life is good out here, guys. Yeah, even it, with a uh, three-game losing
0: streak. Yeah, which uh, hey, lots of people, lots of people are pointing to that that troublemaker Elias Lindholm throwing everything off oh. in Vancouver. Kevin,
1: off of PP one tonight. Remember how excited we were about the deflection goal yeah. in yep. front of the net? Yeah. Uh, after that first game, a pair there. They've really had trouble fitting him in, guys. Um, I think his natural spot uh, as a right shot is on the left flank. And when this power play is operated at its best, it's been with Brock Besser, net front, and JT Miller on the left flank. And that may seem odd. Miller obviously is a left shot. Like, that's not a one-timer option for him. But his ability to sort of, you know, peel up near the blue line and then sort of skate downhill, catch pucks, and two things, one of two things. Either work with Besser, net front, and they really, like, they were... Like chefs kiss early in the season, in terms yeah. of the way they were working and taking eyes away from goaltenders and exploiting that to two of them, or come downhill, draw the defense and pass across to Hughes or Patterson. Like that was, you know, one of their bread and butter plays. And and Lindholm on that side just just hasn't been a fit. Uh, they've become static. Uh, all that dynamic movement we saw early in the season, they're just they had a they had an opportunity the other night. I know it ends up being a three one loss to Colorado. But it's a two-one game in the third period. They played them pretty much even at five-on-five, five, and they get a power play in the third with the chance to tie it. They generated one shot, and it was a low-danger attempt from Elias Petterson from a sharp angle. So, um, his fit at five-on-five—they've got him playing center, and Pettersson moved off to wing. And I don't know how happy that makes Elias Pettersson. Uh, but the results also haven't been there overall. So uh, there's a lot of experimenting going on here, and in terms of the profile he brought defensively, or what they hope, that's been there. Uh, but offensively, as you guys know from his time this year in Calgary, hasn't looked like the same guy since he's arrived here either.
0: Well, and uh, his ride or die here in Calgary is Jacob Markstrom, childhood friends, a big reason that Jacob uh, decided to sign here in Calgary in the fall of 2021. Um, And, you know, he's been a hot button topic. As you know, Kevin, every week that we have you on, we're talking um, Markstrom in some form or another. But, you know, maybe the most fascinating part about the Markstrom conversation for me is assuming that he remains in Calgary after the trade deadline, you know. No, we're The expectation is that both Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin will be dealt in playing elsewhere after the deadline. And a lot of people wonder how competitive the Flames can be if they trade away both halves of what has been their top pairing this year. But the way Markstrom is playing, is is he the type of guy that can keep a team competitive down the stretch even after moves like that are made?
1: And like, he's done so much already. And we talked about the numbers last week. I think they've, they've dipped a little bit. Um, you know, he was as much as 10 goals saved above expected, better than the next guy on the list. And, you know, had gone for me from a guy who, forget being in the Vesna conversation, if you were, if I was voting last week, he'd be first. Uh, he's still eight goals clear of Thatcher Demko and Connor Hellebuck, who are neck and neck for second place. So what he's done is remarkable. And the thing is, he's done it. And in large part, those numbers are where they are because he's playing behind a defense that is giving up so much. I talked to you about their underlying profile, five-on-five, five. you know, 27th in the league, expected goals against high danger, the, the chances that matter the most, the high-danger ones. Um, 24th off the rush, 27th in zone, 19th on the PK. Like, I, so I guess outside of the PK taking another step back, when you're already bottom five in the league in a lot of the defensive metrics – you know, how much worse can it get? And I'm actually a little bit scared that they might find out if they move those two guys. And so it's a big ask already. I think that's one of the reasons where you, why you're seeing such a drop-off between when he's in net and when he's not. And that's, you know, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. I think especially if the PK, because I'm assuming Hannafin and, and Tano are obviously a big part of yep. that. If that Huge. dips even further, that's that's a really tough ask. And and then, sort of, you know, the other part of that equation is like it reminds me of the Canucks two years ago. Um, If this is where you are with goaltending that good, what does it say about how good you really are? With all due respect, and I I said about Vancouver two years ago, like Demko was playing out of his mind just to sort of have them sniffing around the playoffs. And it's usually not a great – if you need Vesna Trophy-level goaltending to have a chance on a nightly basis, that tells you a lot about where you're at as a team. So are you taking a step back losing those two guys? Kind of hard to argue they wouldn't. I think where you'd see it the most is on the PK.
0: You know, there, and we don't know if, if Jacob is going to get moved or not. Um, it, it seems like there are kind of two sexy names out there league-wide when it comes to whether it's New Jersey or Los Angeles or another team acquiring a goaltender. It's Markstrom and it's UC Saros of the Nashville Predators. And, and for you, like if it's you, would you lean towards Markstrom being the more desirable guy to acquire? Well, if I'm sure, like it's
1: funny because my answer is different for both teams. Like I'm not sure, given how well LA defends and they're sort of back to that since the coaching change. And my God, how many times do we see this, where around the league it's you know Edmonton goes from 32nd in the league and rush chances against to first in the league since the coaching change. Like the ability for a coach to get the defensive attention and buy-in of a team, like that shelf life just seems so small now. But since the coaching change, they're back to that in L.A. They're, you know, they're not only are they winning, but they're doing it with great defense. And I just don't know that you're getting the most out of Markstrom if you're the L.A. King. So my answer might be different for them than it is for New Jersey, where, you know, I think we went through this exercise last week. Just all the sort of check marks of what New Jersey needs, the types of chances they give up the most. They also fit the strengths of Jacob Markstrom's game and where he's saving the flames the most goals, things like breakaways and lateral plays and and stuff like that. The reason I would like Markstrom, especially if I'm in New Jersey, ahead of Soros is I get him for two more years. And I think in New Jersey, where you have a couple of kids that I still believe in, in, I mean, what Nico Dawes is actually doing is really impressive, even if there's a little bit of inconsistency to it. That's to be expected at his age. Akira Schmid's been a, a goalie, a starting goalie in the NHL playoffs at such a young age. There's upside there, but you got to give them a chance to sort of grow into it. We talked about it last week, play more games in the American Hockey League level. Markstrom gets you two more years at a reasonable ticket. Soros, you get one year, and then you got to decide whether you're going to spend big. And, and, you know, if there's one thing I avoid, and, and again, I'm waiting for the knock at the door, someone's just like, and we have the goalie union card back, but I'm (laughs) avoiding term if I'm a general manager. And, you know, Saros is going to demand most likely not just term, but also, you know, money in the neighborhood of the Ilya Sorokins and Connor Hellebuck's of the world. And so if I can kick that decision down the road a little bit, and I like my young prospects in New Jersey, that's to me why Marksher makes more sense. Not only the fact that he also fits them, what they do on the ice and what they need on the ice right now as well.
2: So, Kev, let's just play the game that Markstrom doesn't get traded. Vladar is still here post-trade deadline. That's probably going to suggest Dustin Wolf is in the AHL for the majority of the remaining season, barring injury. What's important for him at that level is he sort of bides his time and waits for a, an NHL spot to open up next season when he's no longer waiver-exempt.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's funny. We talked about, you know, again, about last week, about how we've seen this, or two weeks ago, about how we've seen... Um, goalies these days be rushed to the NHL or get there in half the time with half the games played in the American Hockey League as the past generation And I mean past generations of, of guys who went on to be like 60, 60 game a season workhorse starters um, and, and now they just don't seem to get that time and so there there is no downside to him continuing to play in the American League even if you think he's ready for the NHL and I thought he was um, that game against San Jose there was some stuff in there that was uncharacteristic uh, in terms of, you know, not staying over top of his edges, getting caught sort of a little widened out and, and stuck in some movements, not hitting his post clean, you know, the, the goal that was reviewed where, he's, where he doesn't have a, 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 a short side post seal, things that we're just not used to seeing. So, you know, maybe some of that's nerves, maybe some of that's mental, maybe some of that's pace. And the fact that, as I said, you know, Calgary's a bottom five defensive team in the National Hockey League right now. So tough environment to come into. Um, at the end of the day, you need to get him those looks at this level eventually. Uh, it's not going to be the same in the American League. The pace is not as strong. You don't have very many Phillips Zadina's picking spots the way he did on him. That that deflection um, that he had going to the net. That's just a that's a tough break and a tough one to stop. As much as it looks painful, as it arcs over top of his head, um, you know, you could make the argument you're not going to see that level at the American League but you're still learning, you're still sort of processing patterns, you're still sort of connecting those dots, and even if it's not at the ultimate level that you want to get to as a goalie, there are still lessons and takeaways. Like It's not like he's down there, as much as he's dominated his first two seasons, the same percentage is in 1,000. Every game's not a shadow. The game's not perfect. So learning to manage games where it doesn't go well, um, where some of the not-perfect elements in front of you catch up, you know, even emotionally and mentally, it's, it's not a bad thing to get more time down there
2: yeah and my apologies Kev he is waiver exempt next season but this kind of leads into my next question how do you guard against him getting bored at the American Hockey League level because he's done so much you kind of alluded to it but what else is there for him so to speak
1: well I mean he's had so much success down there Um, they haven't had team success and so maybe that's the next step right like I are there some kids that you might worry about that with yes does he want to be here like every goalie wants to be here in terms of here being the NHL yes of course um, like a lot of goalies in the past, when he's got sent down, uh, you know, early in seasons or maybe after short opportunities, is there a letdown? Is there a human nature to have a letdown because he thought maybe this would be the year he start in the NHL? Absolutely. But there's a maturity to his game and his approach that I think will ultimately shine through. Um, you know, I know the, the, the relationship he has with his goaltending coach, with the Wranglers, Mackenzie Skapsky, who I'm a big fan of, yep. um, you know, th- there's a maturity there, and and they can work through that together. Next year, I, you know, as much as I say goalies take time, and 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 you're never bad for having all that experience. I think you have to find a way to have them part of your equation next year, and you know, depending on how things go down the stretch, like if they keep Markstrom and Bladar but do fall out of it to the point where they're and and mathematically is one thing but, but just when it's obvious to everyone it's really hard to do this but i, I do think you got to find him some looks up here to to, to, to regain yeah. that confidence and and get through some of those starts and you know by next season you know I, I think it's obvious to everyone that he's ready for this level and that might mean you know living with a little growing pains you know in the short term but i think part of that too is you know there's two things you can do one if you can get him starts this year great to sort of as much as you can get through as many of those groin pains as possible. But two, don't forget next year. Even if you bring back Markstrom and they retool on the fly and they're competitive early and Markstrom's the workhorse that he always is and Dustin isn't playing much, because he's still waivers exempt, you could have a Saturday night where, you know, you know Markstrom's starting and the Wranglers are playing three and three. And so whoever it is is your three comes up. And they're on the bench because they're not going to play. And, and Wolf can go down and play multiple games over the course of a weekend. Mm-hmm. The Predators did it with Saros. The Blue Jackets did it with Corpusalo earlier in his career. Uh, we're seeing the, the Buffalo Savers do it a little bit with Devin Levi this year. Like you can still, if you're worried about the number of starts he would get next year, find a way to balance a role between the two where he is an NHL goaltender. But when he's not getting NHL starts, you find him minutes to play.
0: We're chatting with Kevin Woodley. He is our goalie guru. He joins us on Thursdays here on Flames Talk Inside Hockey. That is the Flames Talk uh, portion of our conversation with Kevin, but lots going on elsewhere. I do want to uh, I do want to ask you about not uh, the Thursday night opponent. The next opponent for the Flames immediately is Boston, but then they're into Edmonton on Saturday to take on the Oilers. Uh, round three of this year's Battle of Alberta. And we, we've talked in, in past chats about the year Stuart Skinners having. We're not sure if the Flames are going to see Skinner or, or if they'll see Pickard in that game on Saturday because it is a second half of a back-to-back for Edmonton. But just as a whole, um, what, how, how would you evaluate the goaltending tandem this year for the Oilers? What are the Flames in for with that duo and, and the way they play in front of them?
1: Well, it sounds like they're going to get Pickard. I believe the plan is to uh, play Skinner in the first end of that back-to-back, was my understanding. Um, And I I also do hits in Edmonton and may have had one earlier today. So um, uh, I think you're getting Pickard there. Listen, like uh, Skinner started to bleed some goals lately. Saw the 6-5 loss in in overtime last night against Boston. I'm starting to hear some of those rumblings out of Edmonton and some of those questions like, you know, his numbers since the all-star break, break our way down. But defensively, so are the Edmonton Oilers numbers since the all-star break. Like inside, I actually just put this out on Twitter as part of that conversation. Like in his last four starts in three of them, defensively, they've been double digit high danger chances against and expected goals of against Detroit 4.54 against the blues 4.79 and against Boston last night, If you have an expected goals near five on a nightly basis, eventually your goaltending won't help you. It's kind of what happened with Edmonton at the beginning of the season when they were giving up so many rush chances and everybody was screaming about the goaltending. Um, They've loosened defensively. And so I, I believe in Stuart Skinner. I like him as a goaltender, but he's not going Markstrom on it for you. He's he is not bailing out a terrible defense. Like he's just not at that stage in his career where it's fair to expect that he's a second year NHL player, second year NHL starter on a team with cup aspirations, and 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 Pickard's a great story, but he for the most part been a career minor league guy, he's giving them slightly above expected goaltending, but slightly above expected when the environment is solid. If they go back to playing as loose as they did at the beginning of the season, we are going to be asking the same questions and, and unfortunately most people will be asking them about the goaltending but to me it's more the environment they kind of, it's kind of like the kings right like they weren't built around goaltending to win they are not the flames they are they do not they they're not set up for the goaltenders to stop bullets in their teeth to have a chance to win that's not supposed to be who they are but great teams with the ability to play well defensively can still get loose The Oilers were at the beginning of the season. The Oilers have been the last little while. And the results, frankly, have, have, have mirrored that.
0: Um and the the last guy that we uh, want to ask you about is a guy who's currently in the American League on a conditioning stint. Um, look, I I know that in Toronto, Ilya Simsonov, has has they they've really liked the way that that he's gotten his season back on track and he's red hot right now. But uh, that Joe Wall guy who's on a conditioning stint with the Marlies right now, he's a guy that you've got a lot of appreciation for. Hey
1: yeah definitely and listen like we get biases because we you know again at ingle magazine we do a lot of stuff where we're sitting down and reviewing video and uh we did that recently with joseph wall we spent 45 minutes with him going over some of the saves he's made and he's walking us through his save selections and the evolution of his game and like i just when i when i watch it so so cutting that video for those sessions takes a long time like you're watching a lot of film on guys and man, I was so impressed with this guy. And then when you talk to and talk to the people around him that he's working with on a daily basis, guys like Curtis Sanford of the, of, uh, the Maple Leafs goaltending coach, about the habits, about the work ethic, uh, and then you have a chance to really dig into his game with Joseph himself. It's, there's just so much that's impressive there. And, the, frankly, the numbers matched it. Like, before he had that high ankle sprain in Ottawa – On December 7th, he was playing his way into that Vesna conversation. He was like, I think his goals saved above expected are still flirting with top 10. His adjusted save percentage, Markstrom's the only guy among starters who has a better one than than, than, uh, where Wall was when he got injured. So it's good for Toronto that Sam has rediscovered his game. It gives him time to be patient. High ankle sprain is a tough injury for a goaltender because you're always going in and out of your post, and that's where it puts the most stress on it. That's how he got hurt in the first place. Um, so they can be patient here. They don't have to rush him back. But at the end of the day, even if the ankle injury slows him this year and Sam gets more run, I think the Leafs got to be really careful here You know, to be willing, much like they did with Jack Campbell, like – As much as you applaud Samsonov for finding his game after an incredibly tough start, and so that shows you mental strength, um, I want a goaltender who's got a foundation that doesn't require, you know with all due respect, like conversations with his dad during a break that help help him rediscover it. Cause I know everything's more stable technically. And I just don't see that in Samsonoff. I, I, I haven't seen changes. I haven't seen improvement. I haven't seen signs that he's grinding away at his technical game. And so he relieves, leaves himself more reliant on the emotional swings and feeling good. And to me, that's just not a guy I'm investing long-term in. And so um, again, the injury might prevent it from happening this season, uh, but, but to me, the future for the Toronto Maple Leafs in goal is Joseph Wall, and it's a bright one at that.
0: Is, is that. is he the type of guy that – because you know, the Maple Leafs seem to be tied to goaltending conversations, whether that's realistic or not. You know, him working his way back here and him getting closer to being ready to be back in the NHL full-time, is he the type of guy that would, in your eyes, should prevent the Maple Leafs from going out and looking at other goaltending options?
1: Yeah, I'm actually a little surprised they're in those conversations, which makes me worry because, again, it is a tough injury to come back from, especially because of all that post work. Um, that would be my only concern that they know something I don't uh, in terms of the timeline, in terms of how he's felt through this rehab process. I think maybe, you know, they thought he would be back by now, and maybe that's some of this because outside of that, um, this is a guy who was playing like not just the number one for the Maple Leafs, but frankly, a like top number one in the National Hockey League when he got hurt. So uh, I don't see anything in his game other than the time off and the rust that should prevent him from getting back there. Again, he's not a guy that's relying on emotion and feel and rhythm and timing. Like, yes, every goalie relies on timing and reads um, to varying degrees. But on that sliding scale between... You know, feel and rhythm and timing and technique and things that you can really sort of dial in and, and be more consistent with the foundation. Like He's way more on that technical side. Still thinks the game well, still is willing to go outside of his technique, but to me that's a foundation that's sustainable and stable, and anything short of problems with the injury, I would expect him to come back and feel pretty good about his game pretty quickly as long as the health is there.
0: Great stuff as always, Kevin, and number one, glad that the uh, the phone got repaired or you got a new one, so that's that's really important. I have a new phone, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> a little embarrassing conversation going into the Apple store. How'd you break it? Well, you know, well, I'm a goalie, but I don't have good hands. It ended up in the hot tub.
0: <laughs> I'm glad. Well, I'm glad that you have a new one then. That's good. And uh, outstanding stuff. As always, we'll uh, reconvene next week. But thanks so much for the time as always, Kevin. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Have a great week.
0: You too. Kevin Woodley is our goaltending guru. You can check him out at In Goal Magazine, which is just the most in-depth and and comprehensive spot. If you're a goalie geek, like, that is the place to go. Absolutely. It just is, like, as a guy who appreciates the position so much but knows nothing about it, in Goal magazine is fascinating. Uh, so check them out online. Check Kevin's work out online. Uh, he's on Twitter at KevinIsInGoal. Also the uh, Vancouver correspondent at NHL.com. He's uh, the Aaron Vickers of Vancouver is Ooh, what I like to call him. Not uh, to his face, hopefully. He might no, I would never throw his phone at you. That's insulting. Uh, I'm kidding. I would love to be the Aaron Vickers of anywhere. Uh, that's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from Best from the West Canadian Pro to quality only Alberta meats, find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in-store today as we start to wrap up this hour. Thanks to Shan, thanks to Cam, back at our downtown studio, and of course Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll wrap this hour. It's been the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock & Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockAndSafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution solution.